Hello and welcome to the first Sunshine Chasers episode of 2019 without any intro music. Uh, that's just one of the current changes for Sunshine Chasers for this year. Um, I've got so many more that I want to talk about, so I think I'm going to save that for a separate me-only episode. Uh, but for those of you that may be new, hi, my name is Amanda. Sunshine Chasers is a podcast that aims to talk about outdoor spaces and uh, travel and many, many good things and many, many interesting things that come along with that. Uh, another one of the changes that I'm making in 2019 is... I'm trying to have more of a mini-series uh, every once in a while. A, a season feels not right for this show. And today is your first mini-series. is the first episode of the first mini-series for Sunshine Chasers. So this first series will be centered around passports. So there's a lot of good conversation about passport privilege and what is it like to have... Uh, a strong passport versus a less strong passport. And I think it's going to be really exciting. And I would love to hear from you, the listener, and kind of hear how you like it or what you learned from it or anything like that. So without further ado, before I start rambling too much, I would like to introduce my guest for today. Her name is Anissa. She is uh, traveling the world with a South African passport, and she is the wonderful human behind the Expat Panda blog, and I am really excited for you to hear our interview today. She's got a lot of great things to share Um and I just can't wait. So without further ado, let's get into the interview. Hello, Anissa. How are you doing? I'm all right. How are you doing, Amanda? I'm good. So before we hop into the interview, uh, go ahead and introduce yourself. Tell everybody who you are, how your day's been, all of that good stuff. Okay, so I'm from South Africa. My name is Anissa. But my blog name is Expat Panda, and we'll probably cover the reason for that later in the conversation. Um, <laughs> the currently living in the United Arab Emirates, most people probably know it as Dubai, which is one city in this big country. I teach grade ones here, and yeah, I'm a qualified teacher. I'm excited to talk to Amanda today about all sorts of different kinds of issues. Yeah, I thank you so much for being here. I know the time difference. It actually worked out pretty well for us. We didn't have any problems scheduling a time. So this is exciting talking to somebody who, what time is it there? 4.30 in the afternoon? Exactly. So I'm in the future. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So let's start with, um, where, do, where should we start? Let's start with... Um, your history with travel. So you said you had a travel blog. It's called Expat Panda. Tell me a little bit about why you started traveling and kind of the progression to travel blogger. Okay, well, I technically started traveling when I was 11. My parents decided me decided to send me to Chicago to visit my aunt and uncle who lived there at the time. I don't know why they decided this, but it was decided and I was put on a plane and I went without them. Anyway, and I was so 
overwhelmed, I think, by the experience of just flying, being on a layover, getting to America. America was not what I thought it was going to be. I spent a lot of time feeling very anxious because everything was so big and so shiny. And like, I remember we went to the grocery store. My uncle asked me to choose an ice cream and there were so many options. Like we don't have this in South Africa. We have like three or four brands and that's about it. But you know, in the US it was totally overwhelming. Anyway, I came back from that trip and I just thought, wow, that was amazing. I wonder if I could do that again. And of course, the opportunity never really presented itself until I had finished with university and I became an adult and I decided to start teaching in South Korea. I really didn't know what I wanted to do after university. And when I found this opportunity online, I just said, well, why not? Of course, everybody thought I was going to die, but I lived two years in South Korea, some of the best years of my life. I grew up. Um, so quickly. It was my first time living away from home and that too in a place where I couldn't read or write the language in which the signs were in. So it was kind of a crazy experience but I really loved my time in Korea and I taught high school for the first year and then I moved to elementary school for the next year and I loved both uh, levels of teaching. And I was thinking about doing a blog from that time, but I also decided to go back to South Africa and finish my studying because I wanted to become a qualified teacher, get my certification and finish my master's degree, which I did eventually do. So I was kind of glad that I hadn't started a blog because when I moved back to South Africa, I really didn't have much to say, Um, especially after you've lived abroad and then you repatriate. It's very challenging. Anyway, and then I decided I was going to move again once I completed my master's degree and I got an opportunity in Kuwait. So that's when I started my blog because I figured I could document my journey and if there were other people who were wondering what that was like or other teachers who wanted to apply to teach abroad, then they could use my blog as a guide. Um, The blog kind of blew up From there, it just progressed um, through my Instagram as well. People started finding me. People would message me like, how did you get this opportunity? What steps do I need to take to move abroad? And so I started publishing blog posts about those things. And they did help a lot of people. I do know a lot of people who personally moved after, you know, reading my blog. So I just wanted to, at that point, show people that, you know what, you can... Be from South Africa, you cannot be white, you can do whatever you want to do, anything is possible because I used to think, no, you know, I couldn't travel, like, look at my passport, look at what color I am, because when I was growing up, the only people we saw traveling were like white British people or white Americans, people we met who traveled to South Africa, they were also people from like Australia and New Zealand. We as South Africans, we never thought we could travel anywhere. But, you know, the world's become a smaller place and I wanted to show people that you can do it. You can travel if you want to. That's wonderful. And I have to say, I think you do a phenomenal job. You have a phenomenal presence on Instagram and your blog. And it's, you're so... 
um, responsible but also entertaining about how you present your travels, and I think it's I think it's wonderful. I try. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so um, you actually bring up a great point. So you are part of a series on Sunshine Chasers about passport privilege. So you did mention having a passport from South Africa. Can you tell us a little bit about strength of passport and kind of challenges that you faced there? Okay, so I think just to start off with the strength of a passport is determined by how many countries you can visit either without a visa or with getting a visa on arrival. So the more okay. countries that you need to apply for a visa for beforehand, that makes your passport weaker. So, for example, the South African passport, we can get um, about 63 countries visa-free and 35 visa on arrival, which means we only have to apply for about 100 countries, um, you know, if we want to get a visa beforehand. And that's considered a lot stronger than, let's say, for example, a passport at the bottom of the list, for example, Iraq or Afghanistan, you know, they can only enter about five or seven countries without having to get a visa beforehand. So that's basically what passport strength is about. Um, I think passport privilege manifests itself in ways we don't even realize. So, for example, I mentioned before that South African people don't necessarily feel that they can travel. And this is because you grow up knowing that it's going to be a lot of work for you to travel somewhere. Okay, so that's killing people's dreams already. Like, they, they're not actually looking into the visa requirements for places, but just having that knowledge, like, at the back of their mind, you know, I don't have a strong passport. It's going to cost me a lot of money. It's going to take up a lot of my time. Like, I don't think it's worth it. Yeah, why should I even um, try? Exactly, that's right. And a lot of people from stronger, you know, with stronger passports, they don't realize the actual time and effort it takes just into the visa application. I mean, I know everybody spends a lot of time planning the trip, choosing the accommodation, researching the flights, and then you have to add in, you know, the stress of applying for a visa. So let, let me put it into perspective for you. About two years back, I was going to go visit my friend in the Czech Republic, uh, the Czech Republic is one of 26 countries in the Schengen zone, meaning that I needed to get a Schengen visa. And for the Schengen visa, they need you to have your flights booked, your accommodation booked. They need three months bank statements. They need proof that you are employed, so a letter from your company. And that's what I can remember off the top of my head. Oh, and travel insurance. And even within within those parameters of what they want, they're very strict. Like you couldn't have a hotel booking from like booking.com. You had to have a booking from the actual hotel. Like you had to show an email from the hotel that you were going to be staying at. So, of course, you're putting a lot on the line by booking flights and booking hotels on the off chance that you will be granted a visa because, you know, you could be denied. And... Of course, it takes a lot of time to amass those documents. You have to go in person to either an embassy or to a visa center, present yourself, give biometrics, so, you know, fingerprints and sometimes retina scans, it depends. And then you have to go back 
to collect your passport, whether you've been denied or granted the visa. So it takes a lot of time, not to mention the 65, 70 euro that this costs. So yeah, just thinking about it can make you exhausted. And honestly, I went through that process in 2017 and I have no desire to go through it anytime soon. Like it just took a lot out of me. I had to even go to the embassy for an interview. So yeah, just the, the basic things like that. People don't think about it. Um, they don't realize how lucky they are that they could have their U.S. passport and book a flight to France tomorrow and land and go enjoy croissants in Paris. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's not something I can do. I know that. So it's just, it puts, it does put a lot of people off. And that's why travel is not as common where I'm from. And I would imagine it for people from a lot of other countries too. It's just that mindset, like, I don't want to go through that. It's a huge barrier. It's a huge obstacle because I can imagine, like, even if you say, okay, I'm going to dedicate this time to do it and this money to do it, the I'm sure there are, like, tricks and ins and outs of, like, getting all your papers in line and, like, filling out the forms in an appropriate way. And if you've never traveled before or applied for a visa beforehand, I'm sure that I can't imagine how challenging that would be to get completely correct on the first try. That's true, but these sort of visa applications also come with complicated guides telling you how to fill mm -hmm. in each step. And if you don't want to do it yourself, you could always pay an agent to do it on your behalf. But of course, that's, you know, working on the principle that you have that money to pay somebody. Mm -hmm. And again, it's just like not a lot of people have the financial means to do that kind of thing. So they don't. Yeah. Well, so that is, that is so interesting. And I'm so excited to share that with my audience because I do think most people that are listening to Sunshine Chasers are uh, United States citizens. You know, it's very easy for us to like adopt this mindset of like, oh, just like chuck all of your cares away and book a plane ticket and like go somewhere. And I think this is just something that we need to talk about more. I think it's I think that statement is kind of irresponsible. Well, I don't, personally, I don't begrudge anybody who is able to do that. But I don't like to be judged because I can't do that, if that makes any sense to you. Mm, that does, yeah. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Have you been judged before? I can give you an example of, you know, having friends with stronger passports who be like, oh, you know, let's go here for the weekend, let's go here during the summer holidays and you know it's just like I don't want to have to say I can't you know because mm -hmm. I can't afford to apply for that visa or I've been before and it's just not worth my effort do you know what I mean like it's it's hard to say those kind of things and sometimes you don't want to have to be put in that situation where you have to say them you know I have fantastic friends um one of my best friends from the u.s and the other as i mentioned before is from czech republic and like they totally get it whenever we're planning a trip they're like okay let's look at all the visa requirements how are we going to get through this how are we going to apply like you know it becomes something that they're invested in as well even if they don't need to get a visa beforehand so having that kind of support is always nice 
Um, yeah. That sounds like such a good pair of friends. I have this giant cheesy smile on my face. That's so kind. <laughs> well, I think also when they met me and we got close, that's how they learned about these things because, you know, previously they were not exposed to this idea because everybody around them was on the same passport as them or even just the same skin color as them. And then they met me and I was literally on the other end of the spectrum in every facet and they were like, oh boy. And they started to learn things and I learned a lot of things from them too. So I think that's one of the main advantages of moving abroad is meeting so many people from different cultures and different countries and you learn so many different things that you wouldn't have otherwise been exposed to if you had not moved. Yeah. Um, so I definitely want to talk a little bit more about the term expat, but before we talk about leaving your home country, can you tell us a little bit about South Africa and where you grew up? I grew up in a coastal city called Durban. It's on the east coast of South Africa. It's your typical surface paradise, um, summer all year, barbecues all the time. You know, everybody sort of wants to get to the weekend so that they can go laze around on the beach. Um, <laughs> it's the third biggest city in South Africa, very beautiful. South Africa as a whole is very beautiful. If you've never been, it's one of those fantastic destinations where you can get everything. So you can have a beautiful beach, you can be surrounded by mountains, you can go on safari and see wildlife. So that's South Africa for you. And mm -hmm. yeah, I think, I think I don't have much more to say about that. <laughs> it sounds really wonderful, especially in the throes of January and the freezing cold. <laughs> That's such a imagine. nice picture you painted. <laughs> yeah, summer. Um, how can I say? It's like people go to the beach for Christmas. And I know that's mm. very different to the Northern Hemisphere experience. Yes, very much so. All right, so... In South Africa, you decide to leave. You call your blog Expat Panda, and you have a really great blog post about uh, having a passport of privilege versus not having passport privilege. And in that post, you talk about the word immigrant versus expat. And I would really love to hear your thoughts about the terms that we use when we describe somebody who has left their home country. Goodness, I feel like I should have read my own blog post to prepare. <laughs> um, just speaking off the top of my head from my own personal experience. Yeah, no, absolutely. What I found is that people would always say expat when they are referring to people who have made the choice to move. Um, mm -hmm. Not necessarily people who have been forced out of their countries due to conflict or any other reasons. And expat is historically used with people who have strong passports, whereas immigrant is usually used for people who have weaker passports and people perceive that you want to move somewhere for a longer period of time in order to gain citizenship in a new country, hence the term immigrant. Like, for example... Mm -hmm. After apartheid ended in South Africa, a lot of people who were able to travel moved over to New Zealand and Australia. And those people 
have always been, for as long as I remember, being termed immigrants because they moved with the intention of gaining citizenship in those countries because they no longer wanted to be a part of South Africa. Whereas people mm-hmm. moving from developed countries would be termed expats because they don't really need citizenship in another place, or that's the assumption made anyway, and that expats yeah. would move from place to place not necessarily as immigrants who would be seen as staying in one country for a prolonged period of time. So that's what I found, although I will say um, in the Middle East, Everybody is known as an expat because there's no option for gaining citizenship in any of the Gulf countries. So everybody's known as an expat and nobody is thought of as an immigrant. And I think that's kind of why I always refer to myself as an expat, just because the nature of the place where I now live. But I also do believe that I'm not a person to settle in one country for a prolonged period of time, hence why the term expat suits me, because I've moved around and will probably continue to move around for quite some time. Yeah, that's, I, I think it's really interesting, the connotations that each word, the picture that that word creates in your mind, you know, um, I, I, I think it would be an interesting conversation to you know, keep to the forefront of conversations, especially with travelers and, you know, talking about the different language they use at home or on the road. So thank you for sharing your thoughts about that. I think at the end of the day, and it's just my personal opinion, but it's whatever you feel comfortable being referred to as. So I wouldn't call Mm -hmm. somebody an immigrant unless they call themselves that. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I do. Yeah, because not a lot of people be comfortable with that, but some people don't want to be known as expats. They want to be known as people who have left for the long term. So they would term themselves as an immigrant. So I think it really depends on how you feel. And when I'm talking to people, I tend to wait for them to kind of bring up how they feel before I want to classify them in my own mind, if that makes sense. That does make sense. And I think... uh, Speaking for my own country, I think that's something that we really need to start doing. <laughs> so I love that suggestion. It's hard, but you know, it takes a lot of time. Yeah. I've been living abroad yeah. for a while, let's put it that way. It's much, much harder yeah. to get out of old habits when you haven't moved. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that's one thing that why having you on this podcast was so exciting to me is that I don't expect my listeners to hear this and then automatically like change the way that they speak and the way that they live their lives, but like get the conversation started, get the wheels turning. And it's all about exposure and thinking and, you know, processing and expanding your own viewpoint. So I, yeah, I can't speak to that enough. No, of course, nobody ever says, oh, I wish I didn't learn more. Like, you know, you want to be well informed. You want to know more things. (laughs) That's part of being alive and enjoying life. So I get what you're saying. Yeah. I love it. But let's talk about those travels. So you're in the United Arab Emirates right now. You said, um, where have you traveled recently? Um, Let's see. In the last year, I've been to quite a few places, but I'll talk about some places (laughs) which stand out in my mind. So the first place that really stood out for me was Iran. 
So last year, June, I booked a ticket to Iran and I flew. It's only a three-hour flight from Dubai. And I was totally taken aback by this country. Like, the people were so welcoming from the time I landed till the time I departed. Every single Iranian person was absolutely friendly and helpful. I never had a situation where people were trying to rip me off or people were rude to me. Like, Iran was just amazing. And the architecture, the food, the ambiance of the city that I was in, Shiraz, it really blew me away. Because prior to that, the only thing I'd heard about Iran were like bad things. Like, oh, when you go there, you have to cover your hair. They're super religious. They're super mm -hmm. conservative. You have to be aware of your surroundings. You have to be safe, you know. And I honestly have to say mm -hmm. that it was completely the opposite. Like, I felt utterly safe walking around late at night. And many Iranian women were doing the same. And although I did have to cover my hair, it wasn't like there were religious police beating me down should a few strands be exposed, which is kind of the impression I got mm -hmm. from people who were talking about Iran, but not actually people who had Absolutely. been there. Yes, people who have been there say something completely mm -hmm. different. So that was really something that reinforced my notion that what I was doing was doing the right thing by traveling and going to places where people don't want to go so that they can see the world is not actually what they read in the media. The world is much bigger mm -hmm. than, you know, those news articles that you read. Probably written by people who have never even set foot into the country. Let's be realistic here. Yes, so, sure. Yeah, so Iran was just amazing. I honestly don't have anything negative to say about my time there. Um now let me think where else <laughs> oh i went to tunisia in december with my sister and uh -huh. tunisia is just this like little gem of a country that i didn't know anything about but i noticed that it was visa free for south africans and that's just like the best thing that somebody can tell me that just puts that country right up there for me like oh you want me i'm gonna go to you and that's exactly what happened. Like with Tunisia, my sister and I met there and we had this amazing time. The people were again so warm and friendly, so surprised that the two of us were traveling alone together. And I, I felt completely safe, even though, again, people were like, oh, you need to be vigilant. Tunisia is a really, you know, unsafe place and they're conservative, they're Muslim. And I'm just like, I cannot listen to this dribble. So those are the two places that really stand out to me. Of course, I've been to, to other beautiful places. I was in Seychelles in, the, in August, and I was in Myanmar and Laos and Nepal. But like those two places, Tunisia and Iran, really stood out to me in the last year because everything that I had read about them was totally untrue. Yeah. I, so I love that you mentioned this because your blog posts, a thing that you do uh, when you start talking about uh, a destination is you start off with Panda's progressive geography, which I adore. <laughs> um, because truthfully, I, I don't know anything about Tunisia. Like I, I truthfully don't. Um, and I would just love to 
kind of hear why you started doing that or, you know, how that came about on your blog? Well, I think it goes back to an earlier point I made that people from South Africa are not traveling. And Mm -hmm. beyond that, their mindset is kind of closed off to the idea of other countries. And when they do travel, they want to go to those places that they're seeing on TV They want to go to New York City. Mm. They want to go to Paris. They want to go to Dubai. And I'm not knocking that. Of course, you want to go to the places that you've seen and you know about and look fantastic. But there are other options. And that's what I'm trying to do through my blog. I'm trying to show people that there are countries where it's not a hassle to go to. It's not crazy expensive. And you can learn about these countries. They do exist. And you can go for half the price of what it would cost you to go somewhere else. And you can have a good time too. So the reason I kind of introduced the geography lessons is because I wanted to teach people about places that they didn't know about. I myself didn't know a lot about these countries before I visited. So I also consider it a way of educating myself. And, Mm -hmm. you know, when people learn, their interest is peaked and their curiosity, you know, yeah, they just, they want to go. Like, I just wanted people to know that they have options. They don't necessarily have to go to Italy or Australia. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I do. I, I think it's a great idea. And like you said, nobody, nobody's going to read your post and be like, oh, darn it. I learned something today. That's that's the worst, you know? Yeah, basically. And I always try to keep it really brief, you know, not, you're not coming to read an encyclopedia article. You're coming Mm -hmm. just to see where's this country? What's their official language? What's their currency? What continent are they on? Oh, okay. That puts it into perspective for me. Now I have an image to work with. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And like you said, it, it piques somebody's interest. So Google is there. <laughs> you, you yeah. plant the seed and then, oh my gosh, I can't imagine the rabbit holes that people can go down because of your blog. You really, you really set it up in a great way. No, but I've gone down rabbit holes because of other people's blogs. So I know <laughs> the feeling. So I want to reach my audience in the same way that other people's blogs have reached me. You know, <sighs> that's just... I want to pay it forward. Let's put it that way. Yes, I love that. I love the way that you phrase that. Um, So what you've talked a little bit about, you know, things that I'm pulling out are that people of a country really matter to you, your interactions with people. Um, There's accessibility too, right? You said that the time of getting a visa beforehand is just not what you're looking for right now. What else makes you say, like, I really love this place. I want to share. I want to come back, potentially. What really just does it for you? Well, we all love beautiful landscapes. (laughs) Um, But those are, you know, quite common. Mm -hmm. But we don't always get nice people. We don't always get delicious food. We don't always have the opportunity to go somewhere where it doesn't cost us two arms and a limb. Um, That's why I try to travel to off-the-beaten-path places. What I don't mind applying for a visa. You know, people always think that that puts me off a place, and it doesn't. So, for example, Myanmar was a country where I had to get an e-visa. 
A okay. lot of nationalities need to get an e-visa. It costs $50, which is not cheap, of course. Mm-hmm. But I'm in my apartment. I'm online. I apply. I pay the $50. It appears in my email inbox the next day. I'm okay with that. Yeah. That's fine. I don't mind that kind of visa. But when I have to amass a million documents, a liter of blood, two pounds of flesh, and a lock of hair, then it's just like... <laughs> You know, so that that sort of arrangement would really put me off a destination. Um, But, yeah, I love to learn about new places, which is why I'm always trying to go to to places that people haven't been to. Photography is definitely one of my passions. And there's only so many pictures you can see of the same landscape. Like, oh, wow, it's Santorini. Okay, I've seen like a million pictures of this. But I haven't seen a picture of a place in Tajikistan or Uzbekistan Mm -hmm. or Pakistan. Do you know what I mean? So I love to seek out those different landscapes because it's just so interesting to me. Like, I'm not saying I wouldn't go to Greece. I would, but it's not as appealing as somewhere that's a hidden gem, let's say. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not your highest priority for where you're spending your time and your money. Yeah, I get that. Um, Is there anywhere that is super high priority right now where you're like, I want to go there? I think South America Mm. has always been a dream of mine. Um, Brazil, Chile, Argentina, Peru, Bolivia... Like, I've always had this vision of flying in and making my way around the continent. Mm -hmm. The only thing is that it's a long flight for me, so that's probably why I haven't been, because you get lured by places that are closer to you, which, of Mm -hmm. course, makes sense. You also want to explore what's around you. But I would say one of my aims this year is to try and make that dream a reality, to set foot on South America and see what happens. I love it. I love it. Um, so I can't resist talking about teaching. I'm an educator too, so I could probably talk to you for an additional entire podcast episode about teaching, (laughs) but did you go to school for teaching at all? I know you said you have a master's degree. What were those degrees in? Uh, yeah, I have a master's degree in education, specializing in educational psychology, actually, and, um, I did get my teaching certification when I was in South Africa. And UAE is my fourth country to teach in. So I've really been exposed to a lot of different teaching styles and schooling systems mm. and curricula. So it's been it's been an interesting ride so far. Yeah, do you mind sharing a little bit about the teaching styles that have differed? I know you said that you also changed age groups, so I'm sure that is like a whole other thing in and of itself, but can you tell us a little bit about the education systems that you've experienced? Well, each one is different. So, Mm -hmm. you know, in South Korea, I was working with very disciplined students, students who wanted to learn English because that's what I was primarily there to teach. And they had this inner drive that I honestly did not have when I was in school. (laughs) Um, Yeah. 
So that was very interesting for me to be in an environment where there was great respect between teacher and student, and it was mutual. Um, I moved back to South Africa after I had taught for two years in South Korea, and I experienced kind of a reverse culture shock because a lot of schools in South Africa are underfunded, under-resourced, overcrowded. And so I was in a situation where I was teaching at a school that, to put it lightly, was not very wealthy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there were 40 to 46 kids in a class, but the classroom could only accommodate 30 students Mm -hmm. comfortably. And that takes its toll on you as much as you want to to do good things and to be an amazing educator. At the end of the day, you cannot fund textbooks for an entire class. Neither can you do anything about it when they don't have resources. Like if I had to provide things for my students at that school, I would have not had a salary to take home. Mm -hmm. So... It was really a different environment for me. It was also dealing with things like teenage pregnancies and drugs and guns and violence. And that was obviously not something that I had to contend with when I was teaching in South Korea. Mm -hmm. So it was very different. But at the same time, when I taught in my home country, that's when I really grew as a teacher because these were kids who had much bigger problems on their plates. You know, they were dealing with HIV. They were dealing with being um, a child-headed household. They were dealing with things like walking five kilometers to school. So Mm -hmm. they were not as interested as they should have been for school. So it's kind of a challenge you have to find ways to motivate them mm-hmm. you know so that that was my experience teaching in South Africa and then I moved to Kuwait and it's probably worth me mentioning here that I qualified to teach middle and high school but when I moved to Kuwait after I had accepted a middle school English teaching position I landed and they were like hey you have to teach kindergarten surprise that's <laughs> very like, different <laughs> Yes, and I didn't have much experience with children who were so young. I mean, there's young, like elementary, and then there's kindergarten. That is a totally different ballgame. So I was just like, what will I do? And I had two options. Like, I go back home, Mm -hmm. or I stay here and I make this work. And so obviously I stayed, having no other option really in my eyes at the time. And, you know, I had a great team and I learned so much. And as much as those students learned from me, I learned from them too. Just the simple things, you know, in high school, you walk into the classroom, the students get their own books, you write on the board, let's Mm -hmm. talk about the passage on page 248. You can't do that in kindergarten. They don't know how to (laughs) hold a book. I remember you know, giving them books and the one boy put it on his head and I was like, oh, oh oh my. (laughs) Yes. So for me, that was really back to basics, you know, and I enjoyed it, which is probably how I find myself teaching grade one now. Mm -hmm. You know, I just get that sense of satisfaction that is not 
always as apparent when you teach older children. I'm not saying it's not there. And sometimes I do miss those mature conversations. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I enjoy the hugs and the, Miss, why were you not in school yesterday? I missed you. Or, Aww. oh, here's a card for you. I made this for you. And it's just like, you know, those are the nice moments about being a teacher of young kids. So, yeah, it's been a roller coaster ride through my career so far. I've literally seen it all, taught it all. So, oh my gosh. You know, I've learned a lot about myself in this process more than anything else. Hearing about your growth as an educator and how you found something in each one of those situations is, uh, it's wonderful. It's really wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. You're most welcome. Um, so I am also curious how you talked a little bit about your students learning from you and you learning from your students. How has it been? Like, have you had any experiences where your students are just like, where are you from? Like, what are you, you you know what I mean? Like, have you ever felt this sense of like, um, I don't know. I don't know how to properly phrase this question. So excuse me while I fumble with my words, but, um, like how has that experience been coming from somewhere else and planting yourself into their education system? That sounds more, that sounds more aggressive than I <laughs> planting yourself into it, but introducing yourself. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, yeah, I know what you're trying to say. Um, even if you're not phrasing it the way you want to, I understand what you're trying to say. <laughs> okay. I'm so glad. Thank you. So in this region, and for now I'll talk about the Middle East. A lot of teachers, in fact, the majority of teachers are outsourced from other countries. So the kids are very used to having teachers of different nationalities, adapting to Mm -hmm. different accents, learning about the teachers, different home countries. Um, Mm -hmm. The younger students cannot imagine that I live so far away from my mom and dad. This really upsets them. Like, if Mm -hmm. I have to bring it up, yes, they don't like that, but... For the most part, they're very used to being around people who are not from their country. Um, yeah. Yeah, the kids that I currently teach, they're bilingual. So they can have one sentence to me in Arabic, in English, and then the Arabic teacher will ask them something in Arabic and they'll respond in Arabic. It's an amazing thing to watch wow. six-year-olds do this. Yes. And this is because of their exposure two people from different countries that they are able to speak English with that ease and then speak Arabic at home with their parents. So in that sense, you don't feel like an outsider per se because this is normal. You know, they're Mm -hmm. not... Like if, if I had to think about a foreign teacher coming and teaching me when I was in school in South Africa, that would have blew my mind. Like, yeah, agreed. My upcoming, I, I absolutely agree with you. Yeah, it just, I, I cannot imagine that, to be honest with you. So mm-hmm. it's just, it's different for them. That's what I can say. Of course, there's mm-hmm. obviously those struggles where you have to be respectful of the culture, but also maintain your own identity and sometimes you don't agree with the way things are run but again it's not your country it's not how you would do things so you just have to be very flexible and very accepting that's all normal 
you know, part of living abroad and teaching abroad, especially. But I think for the most part, you are not made to feel like an outsider in the classroom. So mm -hmm. that's kind of nice. Even in South Korea, basically all of the English teachers at the time when I was working there were from English-speaking countries. So gotcha. the kids were very used to this kind of interaction between someone who was Korean and someone who is not. I imagine my experience would be very different if, for example, I moved to the U.S., And I was like, mm -hmm. hi, I'm from South Africa. Of course, students are going to be mind blown because that's not a norm. But so far, the places I've taught in, this is a norm. And that's why I don't feel like I'm an alien, you know? Gotcha. Okay. Um, well, thank you so much for sharing. Is there anything that we haven't covered yet that you really want to take a couple minutes to talk about? Oh, goodness. <laughs> It's okay if the answer is no, too. <laughs> um, it's just been a privilege to be able to share these experiences. Honestly, like, I was really surprised when you approached me because, and I know I run a blog, I should be more accepting of these things, but it's always fascinating, the things that you find interesting, which are just a normal part of my life packing a suitcase, going somewhere, getting a visa. You know, these obviously these are things that are not normal for a lot of people in a lot of places. But for me, this is my life. So it's nice that these things that I consider so normal can be fascinating to other people. And I just hope that, you know, this kind of encourages people to learn more about the world around them and the things that matter to people who are not of the same citizenship as you and you had to open their minds to things that they never thought they would be open to oh my gosh i'm so excited for this episode to come out and to hear uh i am positive that everybody's gonna love hearing your conversation so i'm really excited thank you so much I'm so nervous. <laughs> <laughs> so what's next? Do you have anything on your, uh, your short list for this year, for 2019? Well, I'm trying to plan that big trip to South America in the summer. Yes, yes. To be honest with you, I'm on a pause right now. I'm trying to apply for a new passport. <laughs> so Okay. And that comes with its own set of challenges when you come from a developing country. Nothing is simple. Mm. There's no online application, have it couriered to you. It's a really long process that involves going to the consulate and your forms get sent back to South Africa. They get lost. You keep phoning. And, you know, it's, <laughs> it's been six months. I don't want to complain about this, but that's basically my priority right now, like getting the passport that I applied for in September. So other than that... I'm really at a point where I'm happy with my life and I'm enjoying the experiences of living in Dubai and teaching grade one and just trying to soak it all up. You know, when I look back at previous experiences, like my time in Kuwait or my time in South Korea, it just flew by. And now that I'm older, I realize the importance of living in the moment and not worrying about mm -hmm. what's next because 
time just flies by and I feel like sometimes I don't appreciate enough the experiences that I'm going through. So I think for me right now, I'm just happy where I am. I'm just enjoying life and yeah. I love that. Well, the very last thing that I'll uh, ask you to do is share any and all social media handles and You've already shared the name of your blog, but where can people find you and tell you how much they love this conversation? <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, I'm not really that into social media. Like other than my blog, I have an Instagram account, which is also expat panda. Uh-huh. And basically that's about it. Maybe I'm not <laughs> as an accomplished social media person as I should be, but you know. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I have enough going on with people emailing me through the blog or messaging me on Instagram. So I honestly couldn't do any more than that and work full time, you know. So please find me through the blog or on Instagram. Only two options. So I've kept it simple. That's perfect. Well, Anissa, thank you so much for chatting with me today. I really, really, really appreciate it. Um, Just thank you so much. No, you're most welcome. I actually really enjoyed it. Although I probably won't enjoy hearing my voice later (laughs) on when I hear it, but yeah. Okay. Well, enjoy the rest of your evening. I'm going to get ready to go to work now. (laughs) Well, good luck. And that is our first episode of 2019 all wrapped up. So let me know how you like it. Uh, I've got three more interviews coming up in this same passport series, and they'll be released uh, pretty close together as uh, as long as I can stay on top of my editing game. Uh, so you can keep an eye out for those in the next couple of days. Uh, or if you're listening to this one, they've all been released, check out the next couple of episodes. I'll make sure that they're titled Passport Series so you'll know which ones you're looking for. Um, but until then, I'd love if you stop by uh, Instagram or Twitter. I'm at Sunshine Chasing on both of those social media sites. I'd love to hear what you think. I'd love to hear some things that you're really feeling amped about in 2019 or if there's a topic you really think would be really fun to explore on Sunshine Chasers. So let me know. Let me know all of these things. If you enjoyed this episode, as always, I would really love a rating or review wherever you listen to your podcasts, particularly if you happen to be listening on Apple Podcasts. Uh, It's a really great way to help others find Sunshine Chasers and hear these stories and expand our conversation even further. So I hope you have a wonderful day and I will see you in the next episode.